beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. It looks a lot like Christmas over a good chunk of the good old USA this week. Winter White covers the landscape all the way south into Arkansas. How do the wintry landscape and winter weather affect the way retailers plan for the holidays? We'll talk to one retailer about how winter weather makes businesses plan ahead or bust the bottom line. And spectacular sky shows can be a part of any winter night. Why are the skies especially brilliant this winter? We'll ask the astronomy expert about why this is a great year to brave the cold and gaze upward at our winter sky. Grab a cup of cheer while you brush up that last-minute gift list. You're going jet streaming from Minnesota Public Radio. There's a tree in the Grand Hotel. Happy holiday, everybody. I'm Minnesota Public Radio's weather Santa, Paul Hutner. Dr. Mark Seeley from the University of Minnesota and Minnesota Public Radio meteorologist Craig Edwards are the weather elves this week. Happy holidays, you two. I've never been called an elf before, Paul, <laughs> but I'll take it. Thank, I'm doing fine, thanks. Well, it's a lot better than being called something else, I guess. So, uh, yeah. Boy, it's just a beautiful sight out there for anybody that's into outdoor recreational winter activities. It's just uh, tremendous here in the upper Midwest for uh, anything outdoors that turns your fancy. And it is a beautiful, pristine landscape uh, these days around much of the upper Midwest. Uh, The snow we had last night, the beautiful uh, reflectivity of it and refractions through the ice crystals, beautiful ice crystals, diamonds in the snow-covered landscape, both uh, during the day with the sunlight and at night with uh, any other light. So we're kind of living in a snow globe this year, you guys, much of the nation feeling the grips of winter. Mark, we saw snow in the deep south this past week. And uh, I looked at the snow cover map over North America, snow on the ground all the way into Arkansas. Is it unusual to have this much southward extent of snow cover this early in mid-December? Well, this early it is. uh, They more typically get a dose of this in January or February, Paul. And even in January, February, it's more like, oh, once every two or three years. But to get it by mid-December, you have to go back to... uh, Winter of 2000, 2001, uh, I believe this happened across as, as far south as Arkansas, and uh, in 2002, 2003, I think it was also a prevalent. Of course, it never lasts terribly long down there, even when it does occur. Yeah, that high sun angle as you get farther south uh, tends to burn, burn things off pretty quickly. You know, the other big weather news this week, uh, a wicked ice storm that left a million people without power for days in New England. Some are still without power after an inch of ice snapped trees and power lines in the area. Craig Edwards, it takes the perfect combination, and we know this as forecasters, of moisture and temperature in that lowest 5,000 feet of the atmosphere to get a big ice storm. And you're a longtime National Weather Service guy who used to work in the ice belt, so to speak, in Indianapolis. How difficult is it to forecast these big events? 
Well, I think when we see an event like that coming, we tend to throw out the gamut of weather elements that can occur, including sleet, freezing rain, snow, and even rain when the temperature creeps above 32 degrees. So down there in Indianapolis, where I worked for 15 years, it was particularly challenging, Paul, because if you think of what we do still in the National Weather Service with upper air observations taken twice a day, there's an observation at Springfield, Illinois, and then another one near Dayton, Ohio. So you're really only sensing the vertical profile of the atmosphere twice a day and not a very uh, uh, highly gridded area. So the real difficulty comes from trying to predict what the atmosphere is going to look like 24 hours from now in the vertical. Sometimes they used to tell people, let's just wait and see what falls from the sky and maybe I'll tell you how accurate we can be on what's going to happen in the next 12 hours. That's, uh, that is interesting stuff, uh, very true and not terribly comforting, I think, to some, some people who are depending on those forecasts. But you're right, it is tough stuff to forecast an ice storm. Well, it is said that neither rain nor snow nor dark of night can stop the postman, but winter weather can bring retail sales and deliveries to a grinding halt or create a holiday boom. Weather is big business, and many retailers plan ahead even pre-stocking stores with big weather-related items in advance of a coming storm. It's a lot more choreographed than just stocking up on shovels at your local hardware before the big snow And Rachel Tobin is with Intelligent Nutrients. That's a Twin Cities-based company whose products are sensitive to extremes of heat, cold, and other kinds of weather. And she joins us today from the Twin Cities. Rachel, welcome to Jet Streaming. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. Hey, many of us don't think about the weather or our listeners and, and what we buy at a store. Yet I know some of the big box retailers actually have war rooms dedicated to weather and transportation of their goods to market. How much weather planning goes into the retail business, and how can weather affect your bottom line? Well, we are working at Intelligent Nutrients, and we do a variety of things. We, we create certified organic uh, health and beauty products. And so we have retail stores. We also have retail partners where we ship our products to, and they're for sale. Um, it's, it's, in terms of weather planning, uh, especially around the holidays um, when we're based in Minnesota, you know, you never know when a blizzard is going to hit. But we do make sure that we are stocked for the holidays, and we're probably doing that planning you know, months in advance. I would say you know, late summer we're already starting to think holiday. And I know that's actually late for a lot of big retailers who are probably thinking you know, two, three years ahead in terms of their product production timelines. Uh, but there's a couple different you know, aspects of that, of, of getting the products onto the shelves in time for retail. There's the you know, making sure we have enough in stock, and then there's you know, planning you know, years ahead to produce the product as well, which you know, it goes hand in hand. Rachel, uh, Mark Seeley here from the University of Minnesota. I've been curious, uh, sometimes these disruptions, in fact, more often than not, they're episodic in nature. There's not a, a real definitive pattern to them, but For example, if we have to close an interstate, I don't know if you're relying on the trucking industry, or we have to shut down Mm -hmm. a railroad or an airport closes for a period of time, does that in essence have direct impact on you then? Well, sure, especially uh, when we are sending our products out. uh, We have a warehouse and if we are getting product orders and we can't get them shipped out for the holidays, for example, that that is really frustrating. I think what we, we really affect when weather affects us is our products are, they come from nature, not from a laboratory. And so what we need to do is you know, monitor weather patterns worldwide to make sure that the crops that we use for our raw materials are, are, you know, are not getting uh, shut down or uh, 
prohibits the growth of the products. But, you know, if you're looking at, you know, the Minnesota, if we can't get gifts to our customers who need them under the tree, that that is absolutely um, concerning. So we do encourage our shoppers to especially buy online early and and make sure that they're, they're there on time. Yeah, this is Craig Edwards. When I was working at Indianapolis, we had a caller that was uh, a florist and sending out tulips. We called him the Tulip Man, mm-hmm. and he would call regularly for weather sensitivity to the uh, tulips being nipped in the bud, so to speak, in uh, harsh, cold temperatures. Do you have any products that you concern yourself with that are uh, temperature sensitive, so you've got to be careful when you're shipping those products? Oh, absolutely. Uh, for example, we use uh, certified organic raspberries, and we get those sourced from Chile. And if for example, if a big storm would hit our, our farmers that grow those certified organic raspberries, we would be in a world of hurt. And you know, we try and have different sources for these raspberries, but we're not sure if it would be the, a comparable quality uh, that we would like. And so, you know, we're, we're constantly monitoring you know, where our crops are being grown and if there is any, you know, danger of them being harmed that, that would jeopardize our production. And Rachel, how do you do that specifically? What kinds of sources of weather information are you looking at? I know many companies hire weather consultants that provide them with specific detailed information in some cases for around the globe. What are you doing specifically to track those things? Well, we actually work with um, brokers who help us buy certified organic materials. Right now, there's a really high demand worldwide for certified organic raw materials. Uh, and and so we need to be uh, pretty quick on our feet to make sure that we are being able to, to buy those when they are available. So we rely on our brokers to communicate with us to say, you know, if you're thinking of, of or for example, ordering more ras- red raspberries that are certified organic, you know, there's just been a storm. So we either need to you know, source some other ones or place our orders early so, you know, we have dibs on that crop that's coming up. So we do rely on our network of, of brokers to keep us informed as to on weather patterns to see, you know, if we need to do a plan B, for example, in our sourcing. Well, Rachel, it's fascinating stuff to, to get an insight on how different businesses really are affected by the weather. Rachel Tobin with Intelligent Nutrients, happy holidays and thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. was an awesome sight in the southwest sky after sunset earlier this month. The crescent moon, Venus, and Jupiter dazzled brightly in a clear December sky to open the month. Winter can be the best time for sky watchers, and this year will feature some sparkling celestial sights. Park Kunkel is with the Minnesota Planetarium Society in Minneapolis, and he joins us to tell us what sights we can see in the sky this winter. Welcome to Jetstreaming Park. Thanks very much. Happy to be here. Hey, I got so many comments from delighted listeners about the conjunction of the moon, Jupiter, and Venus earlier this month. Uh, It was a pretty unusual event, I understand. Uh, But those who missed it may get another chance to see part of it in the future. Is that correct? Exactly. The uh, the conjunction we saw last month uh, was about a every 44-year event. Uh, so we're not going to see one like that for a while. But December 31st of this year, uh, we're going to see the Moon and Venus. 
if you if you go out and look at about uh, maybe seven o'clock local time, be a nice thin crescent moon and very bright Venus right below it. So that should be a pretty sight as well. Uh, Park Mark Seeley here. Um, I I wanted to ask if um, you at the planetarium. Do you provide uh, your your clients with forecasts? In other words, uh, do you try to use weather service forecasts to anticipate the best evenings that are going to be uh, available for uh, uh, observing the stars? You know, we haven't done that yet, but I think it's an outstanding idea. Uh, it's always such a uh, conundrum here in uh, in Minnesota to uh, try to get out and view these things. We just got lucky, I think, uh, with the last conjunction uh, that we had such a gorgeous sky. But I like your suggestion. Uh, let's let's work together and make that happen. Be happy to. Uh, you know, climatologically, just to follow up briefly, the the. Um the uh, statistics for the Twin Cities area, notably, show that the um, the highest transmittance of the atmosphere on a clear day, that is, without clouds, occurs in the month of February. Of all times of the year, uh, it can be argued that the atmosphere over Minnesota is cleanest and most transparent in the month of February. Hmm. That that's fascinating. I was not aware of that, but uh, the winter skies are just stunning. So it's well worth getting out there. Speaking of uh, meteorological events as well, uh, did anyone notice the uh, halo around the sun, the sun dogs, uh, the other morning when it was really cold? To, yeah, uh, we we did. They were awesome. And describe for our listeners what's happening there in the atmosphere. Well, uh, I think it's it's a function of exactly what we've been having dominate us this month, which is um, the presence of uh, water vapor and ice crystals in our atmosphere. Uh, when we have suspended ice crystals like that, uh, the light can reflect uh, refract in a way that gives us that uh, optical appearance. Uh, we've had... Uh, I think 15, we've had observ, uh, observations on 16 days so far this month, and I think 14 or 15, uh, we've actually had snow occur. So we've really been dominated by the presence of uh, ice crystals and snow in the atmosphere around us. It was beautiful, and, and my understanding also is that you get the ice crystals flattening out, and so you get a, a, a perfect 22.5 degree arc from the sun out to those sun dogs when you get those flat ice crystals. Uh, this is Craig Edwards, and I want to ask you, we talked uh, to an expert on space weather not too long ago on jet streaming, and I was wondering, going back to what Mark was alluding to, is there a way to partner space weather with observing the aurora? Because I've been in Minnesota for 16 years now, and I haven't got a good glimpse of the aurora, and I'm just wondering if there's a way that you can work with the space weather of NOAA to try to help some of us people observe the aurora during our time here in Minnesota. I, I think that's a good idea. There are, uh, of course, on the Space Weather Now website, uh, they've got a an auroral forecast. So you look at the auroral arc, and if it's down near Minnesota, then it's a good time to go out and try to look. But again, it's no guarantee that you're going to see it. 
uh, combination of weather and uh, dispersion of the atmosphere uh, might prevent you from seeing it. So it's it's a little more difficult. I used to send out emails, but uh, about uh, 10% of the time I was right, sort of for, like forecasting the weather, I guess. Oh, that hurt. <laughs> that hurt, Carl. Well, I'd like to follow up with that then. Are there, are there seasons to the aurora? Is that strictly a magnetic field thing, it's, so there is no peak season like the springtime or the, uh, the late winter to see an aurora? Well, interestingly enough, there are uh, there's a slight increase in the spring and the fall, but we don't know why that is. Uh, so I would say your best bet is probably more winter just because it's darker longer, uh, but uh, you're not outside very long either. And so uh, no real season for that one. The best bet is to uh, be patient uh, as the sun the sun is in a, in a minimum of its solar cycle right now. And uh, as it continues to get more active, we'll have a much better chance to uh, see, uh, see, star, uh, see aurora. Maybe we Mark. can have Paul Hutner put some bulletin on the NPR website for breaking news and say everybody run outside and look at the aurora. That's sort of it. Like a, That's... Sort of like a tornado warning, except we call it the Aurora. That's a great idea, Aurora Watch. You know, Park, Mark, Mark alluded to the, uh, the very dry Arctic air masses that we get. Uh, that's, that's one of the, during the winter months, that's one of the reasons the sky is so clear. There's, there's very little, if any, water vapor in the atmosphere. And uh, as we head through this winter and we get these clear nights, what are some other sites, uh, uh, you know, astronomically speaking, that folks might be on the lookout for this winter? Sure. Uh, the, one of the big winter uh, constellations is, of course, Orion. And so if you go out about, uh, oh, probably the best bet right now, about 10 o'clock local time, Orion is nice and high in the sky in the, in the southeast. And uh, that's pretty recognizable because of the three belt stars uh, that line up pretty nicely. And if you ask somebody what their favorite constellation is, invariably it's Orion. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's a pretty one. And then if you follow Orion's belt down to the left, uh, you come to the brightest star in the sky. That's Sirius. And if you follow Orion's belt up and to the right, you come to a little bitty cluster of stars, the Pleiades or the Seven Sisters. So uh, it's a very pretty sight, I think. So that's, that would be one of the bigger sights. Then the, it turns out that the winter sky is also richer. There are more bright stars uh, visible. Around in that area of Orion, there's uh, Capella is high in the sky. Of course, Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse, I think people <laughs> often say, uh, and Rigel. Castor and Pollux are in that same area, Aldebaran. So there's a lot of bright stars right in, the, in that uh, area fun things to watch for. If you then wait until about 2 or 3 in the morning, uh, Leo the lion is up in the southeast, and right now Saturn is right in that area too. But Saturn's nowhere near as bright as, as Venus is in the evening sky. Uh, Park, I wanted to interject here briefly. Um, since we're in the gift-giving season, uh, especially for young sky wa- uh, watchers, uh, are there are there any ideas relative to either telescopes or perhaps good books that you could recommend? Mm, that's that's a great comment. 
There are a number of things. Of course, it all depends on how much money you want to spend. Uh, the uh, I would say for for people, if if you're really interested in a, buying a telescope, I would buy a good pair of binoculars first. Wait on the telescope. Learn the sky with binoculars, and then if you're still enjoying it, uh, go look at a telescope. And uh, there, I would encourage people for telescopes to uh, buy locally. Uh, Radio City and National Camera are the two uh, local area uh, stores that I'm aware of that are very good with customers and, and telescopes. There are a couple of good links on uh, skyandtelescope.com on how to buy a telescope and so forth. But I really recommend people to, to get binoculars first. Uh, let's see, in terms of trying to think. Books. For about $250, you can go get a Sky Scout. Uh, that's one of the GPS-controlled uh, devices that you can just point at the sky, and and uh, uh, it'll tell you what you're looking at. And uh, they're, they're kind of fun to play with, but they're also uh, $250. Let's see, in terms of books, um, there's a kid's book of the night sky. In fact, that's the title, uh, by Love, Drake, and Collins. Uh, that's pretty good, I think. Uh, Night Watch by Dickinson is another good one. Uh, let's see, 365 Starry Nights by Chet Ramo, I think would be another good one. So there's a couple of them. Craig Edwards, you got anything else over there at the uh, Weather Lab I got South? nothing except I, uh, you know, I'm thinking about getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning and looking out at the stars. <laughs> I'm going to have to dress, dress pretty warmly for that. And people were wondering what I'm doing outside at 2 a.m. But I could just sell them my measuring the snow for a special observation for public radio, I guess. But yeah, uh, be- I, I think it's a great mix to have this uh, astronomy and meteorology because people uh, sometimes get those two mixed up and, I don't really know a lot about the astro- astronomy portion of it. I did take a course in college, but uh, I think I learned just enough to pass the test. But I really appreciate you being with us today and sharing your expertise on astronomy. It, well, thank you. This is really a lot of fun. There are a couple of free software packages, too, I should maybe mention. Uh, Stellarium is probably one of the more popular ones, so it's free downloadable so people can use that and we'll try to put a lot of this information on the uh, minnesota planetarium website which is mplanetarium.org well park it's great stuff and we're uh, appreciative of what you do and keeping us all alerted to what's beautiful up in the sky park kunkel from the minnesota planetarium society thanks for enlightening us today thanks so much for having me Well, a little thunder in December, not uh, too typical across much of the country, but it is here on Jet Streaming, and uh, we've got an interesting website this week. Uh, Dr. Mark Seeley, what'd you dig up for us? Well, Paul, we've been, uh, as you mentioned, experiencing a lot of cold air masses this winter so far, some record-setting across the western Great Lakes region, and um, there's a good commercial website, anythingweather.com dot com anything weather dot com if you especially want to go to the state by state section the the feature of this website that I like the most is it's a composite of all of the weather observing sites uh, within the state boundaries and you get a look at what's been going on recently you can get current information there and uh, if you want to see extremes, you can pick out some of the areas within your state that are known 
to have some of the extreme values, and you can look at those. And uh, So I really recommend anythingweather.com. It is a great site, uh, Mark. I was digging in it a little bit, and I know we get phone calls often from people who have had, say, storm damage, and they're looking for a, uh, a discrete weather event, uh, a wind gust on a certain date. And you can go back through the records on this site and find the peak wind for any given day. So pretty, pretty good stuff, pretty good news you can use there with that site. Absolutely. It's got some good pragmatic value to it. It does. Now, our listeners are listening to us uh, in our feedback segment this week, and we'd love to hear from our Jetstream listeners. You can always drop us a, uh, a line at uh, minnesotapublicradio.org. And uh, here's one from Park Point uh, in Duluth. Last weekend, Craig Edwards, this is kind of directed your way as a credit, I think. He says, Andrew Slade, it's a blizzard on Park Point Sunday midday about 9.30 when it went from cloudy and some wind to wind and snow. So we've had our three hours of wind, which I guess is standard. At our house, we get the wind right off the lake, so the snow flies horizontally through our backyard, then piles up on the leeward side, our front yard. Visibility, he says, maybe 200 yards. And Andrew says, great job, forecasters. We were very well warned about this one. Yeah, we go back, I th- as you recall that event, that unfolded like several days ahead of time. Forecasters at Duluth and the National Weather Service were ho- hoisting these advisories for big storm coming over the weekend. And they actually had a conference call that you participated in, Paul, uh, describing what they expected in the upcoming events with the winds kicking in. Now, the real strong winds uh, were right near the harbor and then 40 to 50 mile an hour winds out in western Minnesota. I talked to a friend up there at Grand Rapids, and he says the the winds really never got that bad up there. And I said, just wait a few minutes, they'll kick in. So that's what Andrew was also pointing out, that the winds finally did kick in up there in northeast Minnesota. And the the computer models, I think, handled that storm very well, uh, it, which is nice. Uh, it, it boosts that forecast confidence going in. We knew we were going to be rain here in the Twin Cities for at least part of the storm, the first part of it. And Brian sends us a note this week, Mark Seeley, that says, uh, down in the cities today we got a ton of rain. If it was snowing instead of raining earlier today, how much snow would we have gotten? Is there an equation for converting inches of rain to inches of snow? Oh, wow. Well, the the old rule of thumb used to be about 10 to 1. That was used literally for decades within the Weather Service. I think some of our local forecasters, and Craig, you can correct me on this if you want to, uh, but I think uh, in recent years they made a calculation that the mean snow-to-water ratio uh, in our region was more around 12 or 14 to 1 rather than 10 to 1. So I guess I'd tend to use a number like that. Yeah, Rich Neistad worked with the Bureau of Reclamations in the 1990s using the Doppler radar returns, and we actually verified over the course of a winter season that, in, indeed, in our area of the country, the snow-to-water ratio was about 13 to 1, which means you get about eight-tenths of an inch of moisture for 10 inches of snow. Of course, the snow we just had uh, on uh, Monday was a Monday night, Tuesday, into Wednesday was more of a 20 to 1 ratio where we had, uh, for example, 3.1 inches of snow at Eau Claire, but only 16 hundredths of an inch of moisture. So on average, about 13 to 1 here in Minnesota. No wonder it blew around so much. Beautiful (laughs) snow. And it sparkles like diamonds in the sunlight. It is absolutely gorgeous. Well, great show today, you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Hey, uh, send some warm air my way if you find it, will you? (laughs) Just head about 800 miles south, my friend, and you'll get there. (laughs) That wraps up this pre-holiday week on Jet Streaming. I'm Paul Hutner for Mark Craig and producers P. Ray Rudolph and Jim Bickle and sound elf Randy Johnson today. 
Thanks for joining us. Keep your ear here to jet streaming and keep your weather eye on the sky.